Hello everybody and welcome to Brunvagoon, you will not get there on a road bike. First day of the year edition and special edition Brunvagoon. Yes, I'm super excited and I'm super... <laughs> no, sorry for the laughing, but I'm also recording from a super noisy room. Uh, I'm here at my mom's place and this means that I don't, know, I don't have a proper studio. Echo, it's okay, I think I handled that, but you can listen to a lot of noises because the building of my mom is exactly in front of a big road and everybody here likes honking. South of Italy means, means really honking a lot. Special edition, special edition of the Broomwagon for two different reasons. Before telling you that, before telling you why this is a special edition, I want just to say hi to my friend Lele. Lele was riding two days ago, it was the 29th, 28th, yes, 27th, 27th of December, and the car just hit him and he crashed really dramatically dramatically down and he broke his collarbone classic injury of a cyclist still bad luck and a lot of uh, yeah a lot of hustles there anyways it's okay uh, he's gonna recover super soon and hopefully with the excuse of getting a new bike he's gonna get a gravel bike as all of us will like to so hi Lele and uh, get well super 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 soon Second thing before to go to the why this is a special edition, I want to just say thanks to everybody for this, for the last year, the amazing 2019. And uh, I just want to say also super thank you for everybody who followed us in this adventure, but it's gonna continue in 2020. So in order to make this adventure even better, I just want to tell you that you will give us a lot of pleasure and help by going to iTunes if you're listening to this podcast through iTunes and subscribe and rate the podcast and write a comment. Can you hear the honking around, right? Just do that and you will help us on climbing a bit more the all the charts of podcasts around and you are gonna you're gonna help us a lot and it's the only thing that i can help if you're listening to this podcast to everywhere else around just subscribe and maybe just share it with some friends special edition for two different reasons first of all it's first of january and you know that i usually go live on, on tuesday but actually i prefer to go live on the first of january is a bit more um a bit more better resolution for the new year what do you think and special edition also because this episode so this is a double just because I interview one guy that is amazing and he speaks way more than me and he has an amazing bunch of stories and so we recorded for four hours I think and I cut it down just to two big chunks of one hour more or less each and this is gonna be the first episode of the two I'm gonna go live with the two episodes one after the other but I don't want to bother you with the two hour episode just this is the only thing the amazing person that I'm talking about is Gonse van der Meer cyclist really really great cyclist and human being uh, riding mostly in cyclocross but also he's gonna do and he does a lot of cool things and he's an amazing character and I talked with him as I was saying for a lot of hours and uh, you're gonna know a bit more how we met and why I want to talk about him yes I want to talk about him because I think he's a great inspiration let's start from here and this episode is a double one, as I was saying. In this first part, let me check because I got some notes, we are gonna talk about him and uh, how he brought 
home the National Series trophy in from UK of cyclocross and how he started on the bike and why he's an independent racer with an independent team, a solo team like he is and how much time it takes for him to be in the races with this attitude. Well, this is gonna be the first episode. The second episode is gonna be straight after this one if you want to listen because I'm gonna go live also with that one as well. But for now, listen to his voice, listen to my voice and I will talk to you at the end of this episode. Small story and long story short to everybody there. It was back in September. You can back up me on that, Goss. It was September when you came here to Bern, October. Exactly. It was October. I was in Bern. I was taking some picture. I was almost already completely drunk because of too many beers on the course. It happens. I was checking there the World Cup of, uh, of cyclocross here. I think it was the first European stage here in so for 2019, 2020. And then I've seen this guy with this amazing kind of yellow and black bike on with this mustache that are pretty evident on you. And then I took a couple of pictures, I started talking with him, with you actually, on the Instagram. And after one month, more or less, back and forth, mostly because of myself, we are here today making this recording. I'm talking with, and I'm gonna misspell your name properly now, Gosse van der Meer. How does uh, it that's, sound? That's pretty accurate. Okay, okay. You can say it better, maybe. Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, just, just call me Gosse. And yeah, it's like, especially like... Uh... People from outside of the Netherlands actually pronounce my name better than people from the Netherlands because I grew up in Friesland, uh, a region in the north of the Netherlands where they speak uh, their own language. And that's, in that language, we have the letter called the G from Gosse. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it does exist in the rest of the Netherlands. So people from outside of, of that region call me Gosse. Okay. But, but you have to pronounce it like Gosse. And yeah. That's uh, English-speaking people or German-speaking people uh, say it better than, than Dutch-speaking people. Also Italian people today. Yeah, you, you did a really good job. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Man, I think that you already something like, yeah, figure it out and picture the character. Probably because you can give us a small intro about yourself. And then we're going to talk, I think, knowing you, because we are talking already for one hour right now. We're going to talk for five or six hours and people will know everything about you. But just start with a slow intro. Yeah, well, uh, boo. it's always hard to give an uh, like, a, like a description proper way of yourself. But yeah, I'm 24 years old. I'm a full-time bike racer, four-time student and 100% life enjoyer. And yeah, I travel a lot for all the races all over. And uh, yeah, I started a few years ago following my own path, starting my own team. And uh, yeah, that's been a major adventure so far, and I've seen a lot of, of different places, met a lot of cool people, and yeah, in the end, uh, I ended up in a podcast. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and this is the first first podcast in my life where I'm, I'm in myself, so that's pretty cool. Just tell me, even if it's not true, that you are one of my fans. Yeah, I, I've listened to, uh, I listen to quite a few of the episodes, and yeah, I think, I think it's really, really cool. And really, I, I really like the podcast as like, like let's say like bar conversation type of thing, but still pretty informative. So not like not here to like be funny or tell like some little jokes, but also like to inform people and to like tell great stories rather than just to like 
talk some bullshit and talk the hours full because yeah, I don't really like those podcasts. I listen to podcasts to like get some information and learn something from it. So I hope everybody will learn something from my <laughs> from my words today. Can't say they all will be wise words, but uh, I have a lot of stories to tell uh, that I gathered over the last five years. <laughs> For sure, we're gonna talk probably about all of them, but maybe just last for the last story. What happened last weekend? I mean, the weekend of the... When was it? 15th? Yes? 15th? Yep. 14th and 15th of December 2019. Uh, yeah, I don't want to exaggerate it too much, but... Uh, you I can do like it today. Yeah. In, in England, by being the first foreigner ever to win the national series overall. And uh, yeah, that was pretty cool to uh, take the yellow jersey on the last stage of the last race. And during the race, I heard the speaker uh, that I was riding virtually in the yellow jersey. And I was like, okay, no risks shall be taken anymore. I, I swapped the bike every half a lap. Pit crew had a really big job of me. And uh, yeah, I finished second of the race and was enough to win the overall. And uh, yeah, it was my first yellow jersey ever. Yes, yeah, let's say in cyclocross, probably you got already a couple of yellow jerseys at the Tour de France, right? <laughs> yeah, for the, for the people who missed after the last uh, few years, uh, I got a few uh, Tour de France jerseys also. <laughs> yeah, you can find it exactly in the history of everything that happened out there. But yeah, that's super, super, super cool. But how actually the season of the National Series Trophy British race that is happening there on cyclocross happened? So everything started in a perfect way and then you kept the leadership till last the race of Sunday or something different happened? Well, it's actually uh, like completely different than the story you, you, you're, you're, you're telling now because uh, the first race straight away, it's, uh, it's a six race bike series. It's uh, all the UCI C2 races and uh, the best five results count for the all overall and it's, uh, it's based on points and yeah, it's like, I think the first race was at the end of September until second week or second weekend of December. They're all over England. And yeah, basically you have to be like, get good results in all the races. Then your worst results get like, uh, it's like getting taken away. And then the, the guy went at the end has the most points wins overall. And I started off really bad. First race straight away. I had a really bad race. Uh, yeah, I, I, made, I made a mistake with my own one because uh, my bikes are getting shipped back and forth from the Netherlands to England all the yeah. time. And uh, yeah, I, the, the bikes are getting picked up on the, on the Tuesday or the Wednesday and the race is on the Sunday. Well, and yeah, let's say the, the weather in England is not really trustworthy. Mm -hmm. So I checked the weather forecast and everything, prepared the bikes, prepared the wheels and everything and yeah, so normally to a bike race, I'll take like around 10 to 12 sets of wheels with all different tire treads and everything. But yeah, of course, I couldn't do it at this time, so I had to, to choose what I brought in. And I flew in the wrong wheels, basically, uh, not the wrong wheels, the, the wrong tire treads. And mm -hmm. because I thought it was a really quick race, really fast, was sunny the entire week. And I came to the race on Saturday, it was really sunny, really dry, really fast. So I had a perfect setup. And then on Sunday, Let's say around 12 o'clock, it started raining. Exactly. And it rained a lot. And the start was at like 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. And yeah, it was like uh, me, if I was riding on ice with like tires without too much tread. So I had a really bad result straight away in the first one. And I was like, can't make any mistakes anymore now. And uh, yeah, then 
race went really well. Second race, I got second straight away. First race, I won. And I was like, well, I know I'm back in the in the classification, but I, I can't afford any mistake anymore. And then it was the fourth, yeah, that was the fourth round. And it was a really long start. And then after the start was a 180-degree turn. And, yeah, there was, uh, was another rider. He... Uh, so basically, it was a really muddy race with a lot of straight parts, white cars. The course was not so hard, like technical-wise, it was just really heavy and white. But the thing is, in those muddy races, you don't take risks in the first corner. Obviously. Because it doesn't really matter if you're like on place 5 or 10, because there's so much gaps and time difference. and It's like a battle on your own in the mud. It's not a technical race. But then there was a rider who went like, kind of like all or nothing in the first corner. And Classic. ended up with quite a big crash, where I was one of the biggest, uh, biggest. Uh, how do you say? Like I, I had the most damage. Okay. I had like, uh, like my wheel was broken, the fork was turned around, everything, and yeah, I had to run to the pits. And the thing you have to know about those UCI races in England, there's a lot of people who are racing, so like the the starting fields are huge. So then I was there, first lap, I was running to the tech zone, and then I was on place 80. And yeah, that's uh, that's pretty far back. Yes, and the I, last one, probably. Oh, uh, yeah. I think I still finished on place 16 or something, like around that. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, then I was already down two bad results. I was like, ooh. And the, the rider who had the yellow jersey all the time, Ian Field, and he won the previous six times. Oh, wow. He was getting like decent results all the time, so I already know like Ooh, this will be this will be a hard one. And then there were two races left, and then the second to last race in Pembury, I knew like it's all or nothing now. Mm -hmm. Just like I have to go all or nothing to to try to come back to the in the overall, and just I have to see what will happen. And then I'll just I I I sanded it, and it was a really 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 quick race, very tactical, and of course I'll did the most stupidest thing ever if you want to actually win the race but i i kept the overall in mind like i want to win the overall so i kept riding full gas with four belgian riders in my wheel because okay. i saw in a field could not hold up with the pace in the first lap and he was wearing the yellow jersey mm -hmm. but the thing is if you are with a dutch guy alone in front with four other belgian riders they're not gonna ride. They just like wait, keep the pace down a little bit, do some attacks, go back and forth. I was like, ooh, I don't wanna get everybody grouped together again. So that's why I kept riding, 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 riding. But the pace was so high, guys were dropping from the back. But of course, I was getting tired. And then was like 40 minutes in, uh, the two guys who were left in my wheel started attacking. Okay. So I, I got dropped from them. Of course, I would do the same thing if I was in dirt shoes. I was just like, oh, if this guy keeps riding, I'll just. Follow and then I'll attack in the end. Yes, and last then, couple of laps. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that's how it works. And then I, I caught back to one other guy. I could not get the last one back, so I finished second in that race. And then all of a sudden I was back in the general classification with the whole like points counting thing and like some mad mathematical magic and everything. And then after the after the second last race, they started counting everything. And it turned out uh, based on the my results and based on the results of uh, the current guy in the in the yellow jersey, it all came down to the last race. Okay. So whoever finished in front of the other one, so if if he he 
Ian, Ian Field still in, in the so he was still in the yellow jersey at the last race. If he would finish in front of me, he would win the overall. If I would finish in front of him, I would win the overall. Great. So he was wearing the yellow jersey for the entire trophy and came down to the last race. And it was crazy muddy, a lot of running. And uh, yeah, I got second in the last uh, last race. And uh, yeah, Ian Field didn't win. So in the end, uh, it was me who took home the yellow jersey. And that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, I had to, yeah, it was, I, I made also the agreement with my pit crew that day, like, uh, the focus is not like on an individual result today. I'm like, this might sound pretty weird for people to hear, like, I was not focusing on winning that race. I was just focusing on finishing in front of the other guy because it was my shot to take the overall victory, which was the main goal of the season. Yeah. And uh, I, had a, I had a pretty good start and I'm, I'm a pretty good runner. I'm not a good sprinter on the road, but I'm a pretty good runner in the mud. And uh, straight from the first lap, after the first uh, running section, I took the lead. And I, I, I looked up back over my shoulder, of course, where the other riders were, I had to keep an eye on. And they were not straight away there. So the thing you do is straight away full gas. I, just like basically all or nothing again. And uh, there was one Belgian rider who uh, kept up with me. But within two laps, we were 35 seconds in front of the rest. Wow. We were opening up big time yeah i was just i was just sending it and then on the second on the third lap i uh i like i elbowed him to like come on man take over now take over now so he took over and then i think after 40 minutes of racing we were already like a minute in front of the rest so then i knew like also my pit crew and i heard the speaker saying he's spiritual in yellow and then the guys were like don't take any risks anymore like stay focused do your thing whatsoever and yeah the thing is if you want to win a bike race you have to take risks and I wanted to win the overall, so I was like, I don't want to take any risks anymore. It was really deep mud, and like derailers are getting clocked up with mud. And if you break a derailer and you have to run half a lap, costs a lot of costs a lot of places. So yeah. then I started doing half lap bike changes, just stepping off your bike like two or three steps before what you normally would do. Then of course I, yeah, it, uh, I don't want to like how to say like. Uh, like make the make the effort of uh, of uh, Gianni Siebens who actually won the race. He did a really strong ride, and I don't want to say like I, I give him I gave him the victory, but it was like in my mind I was I was in the overall, so I don't want to like pressure myself, pressure my materials to like follow his wheel or battle with him to take risk to win the race. For me, it was like either take don't take risk and get second and win the overall, then to gamble take risks might win the race and the overall, or also might lose the race and the overall. And that's uh, that's why I, in the end, I, I choose to go for the second one. I, I wanted to get my air pressure up because I, I was riding really low air pressure, 0.8 bars in the front tire and one bars in the back tire. So you can like press them in with your thumb on the rim, but it was really needed in the mud. But then, yeah, I, I, I signed or like I signed, like I yelled to the Texan guys that I wanted to have some more air pressure in. And of course, it's pretty difficult with all those English guys. I have an English pit crew when I race in England. Yeah. They don't do uh, they do not do bars, they do PSI. It's true. And I do bars and 0.2 bars is a lot different than 0.2 PSI. So we have to like, I and that's, that's also a thing I always do with my own mechanic. Yellow always goes with me. I, I make a tire plan before the race. So he already knows during the race what I will, if I yell something at him, what he has to do. So, as I said, I was riding really low air pressure, but 
uh, then you can't jump over the barrier because if you do that, then you the risk of a snake bike is really big. Big. So also the bike I was starting the race with. So I flew in with three bikes and nine sets of wheels. But the bike I started the race with had uh, 1.2 bars air pressure in it mm-hmm. because it was a long start road and yeah, it's like some some pushing and pulling in the start, hectic and everything. And then if you go 50k an hour on like tires without any air pressure in, it's like big risk of crashing. So I started with a little bit more pressure. First lap, I so after after you did a complete lap, pass the tech zone again. I took the bike with a lot less air pressure. So I had two bikes on low pressure, one bike on a little bit higher pressure. And then after yeah, half a race or something, when the back was the gap was big enough and I could ride a little bit less uh, grip, but a little bit more safety on the pressure, I just like uh, yelled to the guys like I wanna have two up, so zero point two bars up and like the two fingers. That's a really cool photo of me doing that. I have seen it on your website, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, two fingers up and then uh, yeah, they added up the air pressure, boom, straight away changed again, went up with the air pressure, and uh, yeah, in the end, uh, all, all those little things all came together, and I took the yellow jersey, and then was, uh, yeah, then was a big party, of course. Yes, of course. Did the tattoo on Hollis, I think, happened? The goose with the moustache. Yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty good story, so... <laughs> Yeah, as I said, we started off a little bit on, on, a, on a bad star with, with the bad result in the first race. But then after that uh, race in Scotland, uh, then I won the race. So I got a lot of points back for the classification. And I, things were starting to look brighter again. And yeah, I, I'm always staying in Brighton because those guys live, live in Brighton. Mm-hmm. And Brighton is like the, the Riviera of the UK. It's Where like, the party oh, happens, up. yeah. And Scotland is pretty far off. Mm-hmm. So that was a crazy long drive. Like when I finished the the race, until we were in the van back home, it was like less than forty five minutes. We just want to get out of there straight away because the drive was like eight hours or nine hours or I don't know, like insane. Yeah. So then we drove a little bit, and we were like four guys. It was like uh, Ollie is like overall team manager of the trips, and uh, got Matt. Matt is the the chef cock and the, the bike mechanic. Then we got Dan. He is the photographer guy from all the cool content around. And then we have other Dan, Dan Clark, who is like, uh, yeah, sometimes he's racing, sometimes he's hanging out, sometimes he's in the pits. He's like, he's just like general good vibes guy, you know, like really important. Yeah. And then on, on the way back, because every time I win a race in the UK, we eat Nando's. Mm-hmm. Because there's no Nando's in, in the Netherlands or in Germany. But yeah, you know the saying, win a win a chicken dinner. Okay. So yeah, if you, if you win a bike race, you go to the Nando's where, where they sell chicken. And then we we're like, oh yeah, and, and Ollie was pretty stoked. Like, yeah, we're back in the game, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. And he, he already has quite some tattoos. He was like, yeah, we're going to get a tattoo if he wins overall. And yeah, you said my name correct. You said Gossip. But in general, a lot of people call me Goose. Okay. And yeah, I've been racing like international, I think for like six or seven years now. And been all over the world to Asia, to Australia, America, all over Europe, and in the end, like, if if my name comes a little bit close to the pronunciation, it's like, it's it's all fine for me. Uh, and in England, it's like it got to the point where everybody calls me Goose. Like as soon as the race speaker calls, starts calling me Goose, Goose Van der Meer, okay. then it was Goose. And so then Ollie was like, yeah, if you win overall, I'm going to get a tattoo and everything. So we were just sitting there with, with the rest of the crew. And I was like, 
yeah, sure, we're going to get this done. Like, everybody's here now. And he's like, yeah, everybody's here and everybody saw it. I was like, okay, yeah, then what, what should I get? I was like, yeah, just get a goose. Everybody calls me goose. Like, get the bird with a mustache. And uh, then in the end, like I said, yeah. So then, then, then the deal was if I was win the overall, uh, from all the prize money I get it together at all the races, I would pay for the tattoo. Okay. Yeah, just saying, I did not know how expensive tattoos are, but they're pretty expensive. But just figured it out yesterday. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> but now, uh, then on Sunday, I, uh, yeah, it, it all turned out, mission accomplished. And then, yeah, Ollie had to get the tattoo done. And, uh, yeah, so, especially therefore, I, normally I always fly back on a Monday after the race. Now I flew back on a Tuesday after the race, so we mm-hmm. could get the tattoo done. Turned out all tattoo shops are closed on Monday. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay. No, uh, me neither. Uh. But uh, now he made an appointment on Thursday, and on Thursday there will be uh, he will be getting a tattoo of a of a goose, just just like a really silly standing goose with a nice handlebar mustache, like here on the side of his ribs. Okay. And like and and then of a, from the size of a smartphone, like like smartphone size big. Okay. Did you something like draw it, or is it the sign of somebody else? No, I, I, I don't know. We just uh, yeah, the entire way back, of course, we were like looking at goose and okay. bird tattoos, trying to find like find the silliest one, of course, like <laughs> the the worse the better. And yeah, he found a really good tattoo artist in Brighton, and it's like this woman makes like awesome animal and bird tattoos. So uh, yeah, I already told him like yeah, just. Just pay a little bit more to get like a really nice tattoo. Don't like, don't want to have like those crappy drawings and everything. And uh, yeah, so I, I I do think it will be a really cool tattoo. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, it's get, it's getting done on Thursday. And uh, as soon as as soon as he has it, I'll put the put the tattoo online. That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. So it seems like okay, the story, the happy ending of the story, we have it already. But let's start completely from the beginning. How did your cycling story started? So how did you get into cycling at a certain point with all the goose and all the moustache of the case? Boo! Like like when I actually started bike racing, like back in the day? Bike racing, and if you want, you can also start before it, when you started riding the bicycle. So, yeah, so I always, uh, so I grew up in a really, really small village with like 500 people or something, and mm-hmm. there was uh, literally owned one sport to be played and there was uh, I think the English word is netball ah I got it yeah this kind of real weird stuff with a ball and the net on your head yeah I got it no it's like uh, with the round it's like a basketball kind of thing without the wooden thing behind it and ah. you played like like man and woman mixed teams and everything then I don't know it okay it's like it's like one of the biggest sports in the Netherlands the Netherlands get like they become like world champion in it every year okay beating it's every year the final is Belgium to, against the Netherlands. And okay. Yeah, it's basically that. But yeah, but that was the only sport you could play there. And uh, yeah, that's what I was used to do. But uh, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm really competitive. And uh, as, as a kid, I was, I was always like that kid who always had to cry if they lost. Okay. Like, I, I, I absolutely hate losing. Okay. I like, that's like, that's like insane. And uh, yeah, but then, yeah, when I was getting a little bit older, you know, like 15, 16, like, Let's say like difficult age. I was like, I'm not the best team player, as in like team sport player, because like as a, as a synchronous rider, you have a complete team around you. But like, I I didn't want to be depending on other people's performances anymore. Mm-hmm. So 
Then I got a from my uncle. I got an old uh, old bicycle because I stopped uh, I stopped uh, playing that uh, that other sport. And it was like a frame size sixty uh, four or something. Ooh. Let yeah and yeah it's it's hard to see in a podcast, but I'm not that tall. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm at at the moment I'm one meter and seventy five centimeters, but when I got the bike I was like maybe like one meter sixty or something. Yes, because a sixty four frame size is for people of one meter and ninety centimeters, one hundred and ninety centimeters or stuff like this probably. Yeah, like tall or people. over two meters. Yes. But then like my dad made the saddle, you know, like those saddle clam rails thing. Mm-hmm. He bent them to the inside so the saddle was laying on the top tube. Okay. And then I could I could pedal then I could just pedal with it, you know, then I'll just start. I was riding with this old bike with like shifting on the on the bottom tube and I was that was pretty fun and uh, then in my high school uh, I got a I think I was like I saw a flyer or a sign or something from the local cycling club. And uh, yeah, let's say a local cycling club one hour away on the bike. Okay. But uh, yeah, and uh, that's uh, actually how it all started a little bit, but I never really had the ambition to become a road cyclist. I always wanted to become a cyclocross rider. Okay, yeah, because, because uh, we have to say that actually in Netherlands and in Belgium, apart from this silly sport that you were describing before, also cyclocross has something to say in the World Championship, right? It's kind of the yeah, national yeah, sport. Yeah. yeah, but in the in the north of the Netherlands, there was always uh, one UCI bike race uh, a year. And mm-hmm. uh, I lived in the town, so I grew up in the town next to it. Okay. And uh, my dad is a road worker, so he works on the road. He rides a steamroller. Okay. And uh, because it's in the wintertime, it's too cold for them to work. Uh, they don't work. So, and as a little kid, I was like always like, I, I quite, kind of like had a lot of energy and always wanted to go out and play outside. And I never owned a PlayStation or Xbox or whatsoever. Like, I'm just was outside, riding old bikes, just being outside. And uh, then uh, my dad always went to that race to watch because, yeah, what else do you do then in the wintertime? It was always like on the 2nd, 3rd, 4th of January, like begin, just like after New Year. Yeah. And I was a little kid and uh, he always took me there. And then you see, then I saw like those big guys like running in the mud, getting completely dirty and everything. And yeah, let's say like I got home a, a dirty a lot of times. Like fancy, fancy clothes were not really a thing for me. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and I was like, yeah, those guys do it for fun, and, and their mom is not getting angry at them or whatsoever. So ever since I was a little kid, I was like, I want to become this. This is what I want to do. And uh, yeah, then like uh, a lot of years later, when I came to the cycling club, uh, I thought, yeah, I want to do cyclocross and blah, blah, blah. But I, I let's say I joined the club in March or something, mm-hmm. or in February, when there's like, oh, and they were like, yeah, that's that's next year. And I was pretty disappointed because I just wanted to do cyclocross. Like, I don't want to do road cycling. And I never even watched cycling on TV. Like, I was, I was like, who watches this stuff for, like, hours a day? Okay. But then I, uh, I, I brought newspapers around. So I, I think I, I brought around, like, 35,000 newspapers around when I could buy my first road bike. Okay. Bike, Shimano, Sora gearing stuff, you know, like, top-of-the-line bike I, was, I, I had. And uh, I was a junior, so I started then doing bike race to the juniors, and I really sucked. First bike race, I was, I was like dropped after like three kilometers. I was like, I had no clue what was going on. Okay. And but it was getting better and better and better all the time. And then uh, I think in the juniors, I 
once finish like top 20 in a classic there's like 0.8 to b race like quite a big race in the netherlands but yeah i can remember one of the so those classic races like 180 guys are starting and it's like 50 guys that make it to the finish wow. everybody everybody goes off the back and if you're like a few minutes down they pull you out of the race and so i'm not from a family who is into like cycling or sports or like high level sports or what's nobody like not at all like i'm the only guy who does like sports like this and everything yeah so so my mom just made sandwiches with like jelly and i had like i had like clip-in shoe size uh, i think they were like 43 and actually i'm 24 years old and i have shoe size 39 ah, okay. so i was wearing like three or four pairs of socks in a junior bike race standing there eating sandwiches with strawberry jello like five minutes before the start of the race and there were like guys with like with my aluminum shimano sora bike and guys were looking at me like and they were just seriously asking me like what are you doing here who are you <laughs> yeah but then i finished top 20 in the race they just got they just made they made it to the finish and but like the main goal was always to do cyclocross and then like i bought a second hand bike and then i did my first race kind of like local oh actually <laughs> the coolest thing is uh i think a few months ago uh my best friend Jordan Nieuwenhuis, the guy from Sinbad, uh we were like we were posting some like dodgy photos of each other in our okay. instagram stories and uh he found some really dodgy photos of me from my first bike race it was like uh, uh the championships from the club from bicycle club like cyclocross and I had like this steel city bike with straight bars with a triple wearing fan shoes. And that was actually like the first cyclocross off-road experience I had. And I was like, and that was insane. I finished even in the top 10 or something. I oh, think. really? That was like insane. And uh, yes, and he started posting those pictures in his Instagram story. I was like, dude. <laughs> and uh, oh yeah, then I started doing some like real races and... Uh, I was getting better and better and better and better and then uh, in my first season as a junior I think I did 16 races and I was like seven times on the podium okay and I won a I won a race on the highest level in the Netherlands like a national race and I was like beating guys with like carbon bikes carbon wheels and I had like I remember I had one aluminum bike with 10 speed mm-hmm. and uh uh, my, my trainer then was Gertine uh, Schommers, a former uh, pro cyclist from Friesland, also where I grew up. And his old mechanic always helped me with my bikes, and he still does. And that's uh, he still builds all my bikes. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, so I, I have two mechanics. One mechanic is called Jan. He's like a little bit older. He used to be the trainer, or he used to be the mechanic of my old trainer when they went like, when they traveled together all over Europe to do all the races. He's like former world champion cyclocross. Oh. And they went everywhere, and now he's a little bit older. So, uh, but in the beginning, they helped me a lot. So, uh, they drove me twice a week to every cyclocross training out there and everything. And wow. they built my bikes. And I think after, oh yeah, maybe that's the coolest story. Yeah. Because uh, when my he like uh, kind of like stepped away when when he finished his professional career, he kind of like a little bit like stepped away from cycling. And uh, but he used to be in the same club as me. And uh, because uh, bike shops, of course, like nobody works for free. And when I started cycling, I was like, no, let's say no one told me to not ride through potholes and stuff like that. Okay. 
no, no, no one told me that. So I always had like bended wheels and like broken wow. stuff. But if you if you're like 16 years old and you always have to go to a bike shop, it, it kind of like gets expensive. Cycling is already expensive. It gets yeah. more expensive. Yeah. And then someone at my club told me like, hey, you're going to this in this high school, right? I was like, yeah. Yeah, there's like the mechanic of the uh, Welps also in the clubhouse. He's like lives almost next to that school. You give him a call. Oh, and then also like call him like, oh, I have a broken wheel. Can you help me? So then I cycled to school. It's like half an hour bike ride, like on a normal bike with like a backpack and like the wheel. a spare wheel in my hands. And then in the morning I dropped the wheel off with him. Then I went to school. After school I picked it up again. And then through him I came to this uh, because I'd never heard of that. Uh, the cyclocross rider, like the, the professional, like Hussinus, and because I was really in cycling, I, I like bike riding. And turned out he married the daughter of that guy, so it was like his son in law. And I was like, and I was just like 16 year old standing at this, like, I think it was like, okay, I don't want to say wrong things now, but he was like 65 at the okay. time, like around that age. Yeah. I was like, being an energy bomb, I was like, yeah, we'll do cyclocross, 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 blah, blah, blah. He was like, yeah, then you need a cyclocross bike. Oh, because I also, yeah, I didn't have a cyclocross bike. Obviously. So then, yeah, then I worked in the, in the supermarket in the summer break, in the, in the Jimbo, who's actually sponsoring the World Tour team now. Don't want to say I made the Jimbo great, but I worked at the Jimbo for like three years. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I got money together to buy a cyclocross bike. So I had a secondhand cyclocross bike. Went back to him, like, yeah, I got a cyclocross bike now. Now you have to teach me how to cyclocross. He was like, eh, yeah, I don't know if I can do that, but you should give my son-in-law a call. Like, he used to be pro. He used to be world champion. He can teach you. Okay. And I called him, but he wasn't really, he wasn't really, like, that much into it. You know, he was like, he was like, stepped away from it, and it was fine for him. Then I just kept calling, like, 20, 25 times or something until he, like, finally agreed to be like over with it like okay so he was like okay come to my house on time i'll i'll gonna help you a little bit and that's it. so he basically made a training plan for me training plan he was like, so he wrote on a piece of paper basically like if you do this every week it will be fine okay <laughs> so, so i had to do like one race in the weekend i had like no bike riding or like easy day on monday then i did like uh and then you had like twice a week cyclocross training. Okay. So it was like the group came together with a trainer, gave a training. So then he told me if you go on the Tuesday and the Thursday, if you go to this training, and then on the Friday, you, you do like a rest day, get your bike together. On the Saturday, you do like easy ride, do a little sprint. And then on Sunday, you do the race. And then on Wednesday, if it's nice weather, you do a little bit longer training. And if it's not nice weather, you do a little bit shorter training. Then it will be fine. Okay. Okay. Little did I know. So I was pretty stoked. And then the the guy who made my bike, who lived close to my school, drove me to to the trainings all the time. And then I think I the first race I got. Oh yeah, <laughs> I did first bike race. No one told me that you had to put like less air in your tires. Okay, so you were going eight bar. Yeah. So my dad pumped up my tires. They were just like rock hard. <laughs> and I only did road races, you know, where the, where the start is just like easy yeah so i was just standing there bike on the small ring in front like and i saw some guys on the front door saying like focused completely like pumped up looking for us i was like what are those guys doing and then it was of course start everyone was like boom everybody i was like 
going on here? Like, why don't we take it easy or something like? And uh, I think I crashed onto like one of the first trees ever I saw on that course. Yeah, that was like disastrous. But I didn't have a spare bike and I didn't have spare wheels, but I broke three spokes or something. Okay. So I kind of, kind of like kept riding. And I think I finished like sixth or seventh in that race. Wow. And I was beaten on the line by a guy who later turned out to be in a national team. Little did I know. And, uh, but of course, cyclocross, the world is pretty small. And if you come like a little bit more in front of the races, everybody's like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And nobody knew me. I didn't know anybody. And I was like, oh, yeah. But I was, I was stoked as always. I was like, yeah, man. And Gertinus is my trainer, and this and this and this, and blah, blah. And just spoke one time with the guy. But, and, uh, but apparently, I had spoken with a guy who used to be a teammate with him back when he was a pro. So it turned out like something like he gave him a call or something, or he spoke to him like, yo, this kid you're training, like, he knows how to ride a bike, but he had never seen me ride a bike. And it was the first time ever I did a, did a cyclocross race. Okay. And then on the second race, it was like a, more like a smaller race, like a regional race. I was on the podium straight away. Mm-hmm. And then later I was on the podium again. And then they were like, ooh, maybe we should go with a bike race to you. So then they together went. So my trainer and the mechanic went with me to a race. And uh, it was my first time ever on Tubulars because he used to be sponsored by Zip. Okay. The Zip wheels. Yeah. So, and they were like some, I think it was like 15 years ago that he stopped uh, the racing cross. But there were some like 15-year-old zip wheels laying around. So they, they tried to like find the ones with the best tubulars, prepare them. And then I did the regional championships to race. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I had, yeah, I don't know. I broke something on my bike. So I, so I was, I think I was on the second place over there. And then I broke something and I was like more in the back again or something. And they were like, oh man, he really knows how to ride a bike. Actually, I, I had no clue what I was doing. I was just sending it. And then... <laughs> The mechanic was uh, gathering stuff together for me. And then like one week or two weeks later, he called me up like, oh, yeah, he's come over to my little shed. I uh, got something for you. Okay. Turned out he, he built me a second bike. Wow. So I had one aluminum bike, 10 speed with like uh, rim brakes. Yeah, everybody was having rim brakes back then. Yeah. And, uh, and then I had a white steel bike with nine speed clincher wheels. I was, I was like, my material was sketchy as fuck, like mm-hmm. straight up serious. I was sketchy to do it around. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, maybe this is the coolest thing. The club I was riding for, they didn't have skin suits. Okay. And I just, I had like, literally, I had one bib short and one jersey. Okay. But I saw everybody was having skin suits. And I was there with my mom and my dad. And also, they, they had no clue what was going on. I was just eating sandwiches before a cycling cross race, like... Mm-hmm. Don't do that if you want to have a quick start. But everybody was having a skin suit. So my mom, what she did, she put with safety pins, she put my jersey on my pants. It was basically, I had a cycling jersey, safety pinned on my bib shorts. <laughs> so I also had an arrow suit. That's perfect. That's perfect. That's yeah. how everything started. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how it started. And... Uh, yeah, then a few weeks later, I won that national race, crazy muddy race, uh, on that aluminum and steel bike and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then there was uh, national championships. And uh, yeah, there was, I think uh, I was like a little bit on the radar of the national team mm-hmm. to uh, go to the World Cup and race in an orange jersey and everything. 
but I have to do like a race well on the national championship. And turned out, and then it was a bit of a bummer. I broke my collarbone on the. Oh. I fell, broke my collarbone. Thing was sticking out of my shoulder. I was like, bad. It was the end of the season. Yeah, and oh man, I cried so much I because like not of the pain, but because I knew I was going really well. Like was kind of like a dream that could come true, like wearing an orange skin suit, you know? Like, I saw those guys race on TV, I was like, oh, wow, they have orange skin suits. And then you see, of course, that little kid, you see, like, the soccer team and all the other teams wearing orange. I was like, yeah, I want to wear orange. But then, I, but I only started in the juniors. So in cyclocross, you go, you switch categories one year earlier. Okay. So I raced one year in the juniors, and then I had to go over under 23. So then I was straight away at the lead. Okay start all on the bottom again which was pretty hard in the beginning so then it took two years extra to and then i finally got in the national team because my first shot in the national team was if they if you organize a world cup and uh, then the country who organized the world cup mm-hmm. may register an extra team okay so then it was a world cup in falkenburg and then you had the dutch team the a team so it was like six guys and then you have the b team so the b teams are six guys who are also allowed to start, they have to start last row, but they can start. And I think I finished like third Dutchman or something. Oh, wow. And then straight away I moved up to the A team and I never left the national team again. And now it's like, uh, I, have to, I have to stay true to the facts, but like, I think it's like four years. Okay. And then also in the 23 is always a national team. Now in the elites, I'm in the national team. And yeah, well, like for what's worth in the elites, of course, but. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit how it went. Then after that first year in the junior, I uh, juniors, I got a, I got a contract with a mountain bike team. And uh, first they gave me like they gave me like how do you say like stagiaire contract thing mm-hmm. because I wasn't even eighteen yet, so mm-hmm. you weren't allowed to have that. So uh, I was just riding in the jersey. They gave me a bike. <laughs> that was oh yeah, that was also pretty maybe cool. I've never ride, ridden on a mountain bike before in my life. I never had a mountain bike. Okay. And then, <clears throat> That team was like, hmm, if he goes so well on a cyclocross bike without ever doing that, well, we might give him a mountain bike and see how this goes. So they gave me a mountain bike on a Thursday, and if I wanted to do this, like, national race on a Sunday. Yeah. Basically, I still had never ridden a mountain bike before in my life. I was, like, 29er. But it was, like, UCI elite team, so the materials were quite on point. So the first bike I ever got was like straight away like top model brand, best of the business, everything. Okay. And I, and I was on this bike. I was like, oh, this like this this like a dirt bike, like a motocross bike. But of course, I had to start like lost road. Like, and I don't want to like how do you say like be negative against the other riders who were on the lost road, but the difference in the in the materials is pretty big. Yeah. So I was sending there lost row in the juniors between all the guys on like little bit less top model bikes but I, I i had no clue what kind of bike it was for me it was just like a red bike and i was pretty sick. like oh check out my bike i'm really cool oh this is the first time i'm riding this bike and blah blah and everyone's like who the fuck is this dude with this like being trying to act all cool with this like eight or nine thousand euro bike okay again again i had no clue for me it was just a bike and i think i was like 150 guys. I think I finished like place 10 or something like that. Okay. And then uh, I went on a training camp with them. And then there was another race. It was like because there's no World Cups in the in the for the juniors and mountain bike. Mm-hmm. So they have like the Junior World Series. 
Okay. And then they took me to one of those junior World Series races in Belgium somewhere. And I think I finished second or third Dutchman. Okay. And just behind the Milan father, the Dutch guy was like really good now. Yeah. And I hope he goes really well at the Olympics. That's pretty cool. And uh, he's, he's like the same age as me. Okay. And uh, But then they were back in the day that was like a national mountain bike team, road to Tokyo, blah, blah. That was some funding. It's It all quit now, unfortunately. But And then like the national team coach of that whole mountain bike thing, he was like, who is this guy? And he literally, they were like, there was like one result behind my name. That was like two weeks before. It was like my first mountain bike race ever. <laughs> like, who is this guy? And then... Yeah, I think one or two days after uh, after my 18th birthday, I signed a contract with the team. Okay. And then I was three years in that team, racing uh, mountain bike races and everything. Was straight at the elite then when I went over. Yeah. And but always the main focus was cyclocross, and yeah, as it got better, 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 better at that. I yeah, I think at the last years of the under 23s, I was like also in the top 10 of the UCI ranking oh, wow. of the under 23s, and yeah, I was racing top 10 in a lot of those TV races and. It once been third on the Koppenberg race behind ah. uh, Ellie Isabit and uh, Jens Decker, no also former world champions. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but then I was racing for a Belgian team. It was a continental road and cyclocross team. And uh, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot in those years. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy I did it. And uh, yeah, that's, those five years as a contracted rider like, opened my eyes a lot. And yeah, as I said, I, I learned a lot. And I think, I think it was a really good decision back then to, to do it like this and then yeah after those five years I decided to start racing for myself and now I think it's this will be the third year um the third so I think the I started then in the middle of last of like a few years ago like my contract ended at the 31st of December from the 1st of January I was riding for Bump Track and Hunt and all the new sponsors and now this is the this and the third time I'm gonna start from the first of January on this with my own team and yeah I think all if I look back on my career like the choices I made like from those teams to those teams and then to make the decision to start racing for myself I think it's 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 played out all really well and I'm extremely happy with where I am now. Yeah. Actually, I want to ask you a question exactly about this topic because we are talking about now it has been, it's going to be the third year for you. You're going to start the third year that you're riding by yourself in your, yeah. Yeah, as independent team, as independent rider. And for, I have two questions for you on that. One is uh, how does it work? So what is more difficult or less? Yeah. And the second one is why you do it? Why it's better for you to ride by yourself and not being part of a team? Probably it's also related to the part that you were telling before that you prefer actually to ride by yourself for your own results or how does it work and why? Yeah, I think like riding for a team has has its, has its pros and its cons. For example, yeah, when I was when I was racing for Tartaletto, it was called Tartaletto Isorex, they had like legendary yellow kits and everything. It was like it was a true Belgian team. And yeah, honestly, I I had an awesome time there. But yeah, it's it comes with pros and cons and Especially when you're racing on the road, you can do a lot of nice races, race with a team and everything. But for me, it's I'm not a top rider who races top 10 in the elites, in the super prestige, in the, in the TV race. I'm not winning the TV race in Belgium. But if you race for a Belgian team with Belgian sponsors, you basically get paid to do those races who are on the TV. 
course, that's how it works. That's why the sponsor pays for it. So that's your job. So that's what you have to do. And yeah, over the years, like I've been in that circuit so many years. I've done, I've literally done every TV race ever. I've been to the World Championships, European Championships, all the World Cups. Basically, basically I've, I've, I've been everywhere. But over the years, I, I, I started to like get this thing for myself. Like, I had a lot more fun racing, a little bit more like the smaller races. Still the UCR races, still professional races, but on like the, the second professional level. And yeah, as I said, if you're in a team, you're basically like, you're, you're obligated to do a lot more. And I really miss my freedom. And over the years, I built up a lot of good relationships with the, with the races I've been to. And I get invited to a lot of cool events. And yeah, then I got invitations for awesome races all over the world. But then basically the team says like, yeah, you're getting paid to race in Belgium. So that's where we want you to race. Of course, that, that, that's, that's completely understandable. And that's their way of doing the business and everything. And if you sign a contract with them, then you have to do that. And yeah, I also understand that. But for me, the feelings are more like, yeah, it's, it's like, I, I think I say, I say to a lot of people, I'd rather be like a, like a top rider on the second level Mm-hmm. Then just to be a rider in the margin on the, on the top level, yeah. And yeah, that comes that comes with pros and cons. Like for yeah, a lot of people know like the really famous guys who always do the TV races and and be uh, be over there and and do the races always in Belgium. So it's a lot less traveling and everything. But yeah, I like to, to travel and of course it takes a lot more energy. I can I can train less because I travel more, but. Yeah, in this way, I get so much more out of my career, and yeah, for me, this this makes me yeah sounds weird. It makes me really happy, and I prefer to race for a little bit less money, or actually for less money, and to have a lot more fun than to race for more money and to to really race like to to really perform like a robot as as if it's your job. And but also yeah, as an individual, it comes with a lot more. Uh, yeah, a lot more tasks around cycling because basically if you're in a team, you get your bikes, yeah. you get your clothes, yeah. you get your stuff, you get a program, you just know I have to do this race, I have to do this, the bike's standing ready, I just have to ride and basically you just have to ride and shut your mouth, that's it. Yes. And then if you, if you, the way I do it, like if you start to race for yourself, and I've always been my own manager, also when I was in the teams, uh, like... Don't want to say I have a big mouth, but I, I'm gonna if I if I feel like I've not been treated fair, I'm just gonna stand up for myself. So so I don't need a manager to do the business for me. And also with all the races, I negotiate the contracts or the terms or in which I want to come to race. Or like decide I'm gonna do this race, I'm gonna do that race, or I don't gonna do this race, I don't gonna do that race. But it's the same thing with sponsors. You know, I have to set up everything with sponsors around me and yeah, make sure the yeah, the media output is right, get the, get the good things going, be interested for other people and be general, come to events, do this, do that and everything. So, yeah, I think like on a weekly basis, especially now, it's like November, December, end of the year, new sponsor contracts, they have to all be made up, resigned, stuff like that. I've been working 10 to like 15 hours a week on that, besides training, yeah. another like 15 hours a week. So... That's like from Monday to Friday, 15 hours. Plus racing in the weekends, where you also have to travel to again. So normally, like I'm in total, I'm like seven seven months away 
from home a year. So normally from September to February, I'm only three days a week. Three days a week, I'm at home. Three okay. full days. And yeah, that's you have to do a lot on the go. It's a lot of a lot of calling and everything. Like I train a lot alone, and I make I make a lot of phone calls on my bike. So I'm always calling like just with the earphones, hands free. Stick a little buff on microphone under the buff, and I'm always calling on the bike, organizing, keeping in touch with the sponsors, with the organizers, and also yeah, with a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people always see me traveling, and you're like, oh, this is so cool, and you're always everywhere, but. It's a logistic puzzle where all my materials are. Yeah. Because if, if, uh, for cyclocross, I can use four bikes and I have 12 pairs of wheels. But yeah, if you ride double programs or if I ride one week in England, other week in Switzerland, or one week there, another week there, bikes have to be shipped over, bikes have to go in a plane, bikes have to go in a camper. So actually, my mechanic. Uh, he has all my bikes at home, so in my in, in, where I live, I only only have like my training bike. So I have like one cyclocross bike with one set of training wheels for in for off road and one set of training wheels on the road. Oh, and my mechanic has all the other stuff. Yeah. Um, but he also has a really big like I, I think it's like a magnet, magnet like a whiteboard, and where it's like where it's like all the bikes and the materials that they're like kept count on where it is. Yeah. So he always knows exactly those wheels, those treads are over there, those bikes are over there, those bikes are over there, because at some point I just I just lose count of it, like where all the stuff is, like because I need to train, I need to organize the stuff, I I do interviews, I do emails, I need to get my sponsorships done. So I'm I'm really happy all the material wise and the logistics stuff is all taken away. Also like I came back on Tuesday now from the race in England. And on and we packed all the bags. And on Wednesday, five giant boxes will be delivered at my mechanic with three bikes and nine sets of wheels. Yeah. And all my dirty laundry and everything. I'll I'll just chuck everything in the boxes yes. and we'll be clean again. And then at the next race, the camper will come with all the stuff in it again. But yeah, it's also all that things come together with it. And if you race for a team, it's it's a lot less. But yeah, I think for me, it's uh, all the efforts I put into it. Yeah, it doesn't weigh up anymore to, to race for a team. And yeah, I, if if a team wants to have me, they have to make me a really good offer if uh, if I come back to and leave everything behind what I build up now. Yeah, 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 it makes sense. Actually, let's talk about a bit more of physical things. How does your bicycle look like? You told me already a bit about your sponsors and stuff, but tell me how your road, your race bike look like. Uh, yeah, well, all four bikes are equal. Yeah. So. It's yeah, they're so they're one hundred percent identical, and uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe it's good to point out that like uh, the whole structure I set up around uh, like around myself, it's it's like not that I, like did it myself, but it's like kind of like a network where I'm in the middle of it, but it's like it, it all came together with the right person, so it's it's basically like don't want to say like the my sportive and like my my team success is it's it's a really big factor in meeting the right people at the right moment and i think manuel from bump track and just like all the guys from bump track they played a huge huge role in that and uh when i decided to start racing for myself uh, i could choose from four different bike sponsors and 
Uh, it's just for the one who has been in touch with me for the longest period of time. And I think they've already been trying to get me on their bikes for like almost two years. Mm -hmm. Because a long, long time ago, when I was still racing for that mountain bike team, I did the single speed European Championships in Berlin. Okay. And the guys from Bumtrack were either way organizing or they were sponsoring it for sure. They were but pretty at close. Least they were involved. Yeah. And uh, I went over there, it was in March, and like I really liked Berlin, the city, and did the race there. I had a lot of fun. And uh, then they just uh, kept emailing me, uh, can you ride our bikes and everything? But of course, I always had a contract with the team, so I could not do it. But uh, I always stayed a little bit in touch with them, and I think what they, what they were doing was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, this sounds like uh, maybe a little bit weird, but uh, when I decided to like, when I think like, start decide to race a little bit more for myself, of course, first you have to like check out the market a little bit, you know, if there's like any brands who have interested in sponsoring you. Because I could also resign with the current team and mm -hmm. sign with different teams, so so there were a lot of options. And then I had, uh, as I said, four options for a bike sponsorship, which is the, the most important thing, first of all. Uh, and really, I had really good options. And I choose, basically choose the one with like the, don't want to say the worst option, but like the, the, the least interesting option. But okay. just because the feeling was really good and they were, they were been approaching me for so long already. And I was like, these guys really want it. And the other brands are like really big brands, so also then you're then you're just a number. Yeah, yeah. And now for a small bike brand, lines are really short. And even though I knew they didn't really have any experience in like bike racing and everything, I was like, it just, you know, it just felt the right way to do. And uh, in the end, it turned out to be the right way to do because uh, yeah, I said like yeah, I need at least like three bikes and all these wheels and everything. And, and then they were like, ooh. Because they thought like we just give him like one, one aluminum, yeah. yeah, one aluminum bike or something, and and yeah, we'll do his thing and we'll be fine. I was like, oh, there's there's a lot more going on. So and then uh, they, the guys from Bumtrack, especially Manuel, helped me a lot to like set it all up and also get me like in touch with the, with the other brands because yeah, I didn't I I didn't have that network then from all the brands and all the people so. They helped me to establish also other brands around it. So on one hand, their costs were going down because the other other parts of the bike were getting sponsored directly from the other brands. Mm -hmm. So and now, uh, yeah, as I said, we're going into the third year, and it's the all the brands that started with me from day one. They're all still with me, and uh, now I, from the first of January on, as everything. Uh, yeah, it's online and everything comes out. Uh, I'm really happy to announce that everybody uh, goes on with me for multiple years. So everybody is in for me for like a minimum of two more years. And so all the brands are with me for already five years then at the end of that term. And there's never any parent change from the first race I did for my own team. So, And then you've got this whole network where like I'm in the middle as a rider, but also bomb track from the frames and the groups are at one part, Hunt from the wheels another one, Challenge are another one, Ritzy are in another one, KMC, the chains are in another one, Cell SP, my saddles are in another one. But if you buy one of the top model bomb track bikes, they come with the Hunt wheels, they come with the Ritzy part, they come with the KMC bikes, you know, so also my sponsors are, are linked with each other yeah. and with me, so it's like, 
a really strong team of everybody together and also all the brands are uh, working on the same or with the same goal so and then as you as you said also in the talk before like I make a lot of content content because not because I, I because the likes make me happy just because I like to share, share the stories, share what's going on. Let's talk and about that, because actually your main part on that, I think actually your main work of being a individual rider and having a team behind you is yeah. also made happen because you're producing a lot of content, your videos, your articles, your social media, whatever. You're not the classic rider. Let's put it in this way. Yeah, and I think also maybe maybe that's like a little, little switch back. Back to the business side, I don't want to talk too much about the whole business side, but uh, I value a lot more uh, a rela relationship over a certain amount of money. And over the years, like some of the companies, have, of course, like companies just like people, like, like a human. Sometimes you go well, sometimes you go a little bit less, all of that. And also one of my, one of the, the companies that sponsored me was going a little bit less, but then I don't want to be the first guy to walk, walk away. So they stepped in with me. When I started, and then they were going a little bit less, and I could I could sign straight away with a different brand, yeah. gave me extra money and everything at the time. But I was like, no, I'm I'm gonna stay with them. I accept less money. I contacted them with all my other sponsors because the whole business is an open book, and at the yeah, at least I put my sponsor and all the partners involved, and that's how I saw like I've I've a really great team also around, and because I I like to share a lot, and that also comes back in the whole content thing is. Uh, I just, I just like to share. I'll, I'll put it open. Like, this is how it is. Everybody thinks being a professional athlete is really fun and it's, it's really cool and everything. But for the people who watch my Instagram stories and everything, I have like the, the things below my eyes from being really tired or just like being uh, from all traveling all over. It's like, it's not the, it's not the bike races that make you tired. It's like everything around it, the traveling, all the long days and. I think with sharing, sharing what it's really about is, and then with all the output of all the content, I just, I just throw it out there to share. Like my YouTube videos that I post into my website blogs are like, maybe have less than a hundred views. I've never, I've never been awake of that for one night that I don't have enough views for the work I put in there. Mm -hmm. Just because a lot of people actually also come back to me that they really like the stories and it's like, yeah, we now we really see how it's how it really is then. I think also all my sponsors appreciate that a lot and you know professional sports is not a show it's like a really hard word yeah. work will and it's I think it's also a thing that not the most talented riders will become the best athletes if you want to make it in the end as as an athlete and if you want to like stick it out there for a longer time it's like everything together and you have to understand how the complete thing works and you have to be like really really focused on yourself at certain points but you also have to like be really focused on everything around you you on different points and you, you can't always be that individual selfish person otherwise people are also stepping away from you and it's the same as with my sponsors the relationships are really long the same as with the people who helped me the people who made my bikes have made the bikes I've did the first ever bike races with when I when I just got, I got dropped in the first lap until I won my first professional race, it's the same hands who made those bikes. And it's the same with all the content. It's like, if you're just fair, open and honest, like I'm not, I'm not making life any nicer than it is. But then also your, your the followers or the people who look at it, they, 
they really see it that it's generous and yeah I, that's that's more what drives me than to get like i don't know thousands of likes or views or whatsoever because i don't get them and i never had that ambition or whatsoever so i think i think that's 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 what mainly drives me and of course like yeah i'm i'm an athlete i want to i want to win bike races and yeah yeah that's that's the main thing it's and that's also always what i what i do with with sponsors and and when i started or if i find a potential new sponsor as you said like you post out a lot of content a lot of social media blogs photo stories i've never ever in my life shared my social media stats or numbers of likes or number of posts and i i never like i never posted any like paid content or advertisement content or whatsoever i just for me it's like if someone wants to sponsor me they have to sponsor me because first of all i'm a good athlete yeah i don't want to get sponsored because i put out nice pictures i want to get sponsored because because of of my of, of the athlete i am and i also i i don't accept uh, sponsorships of uh companies or, or things that want to sponsor me if i also see they sponsor a lot of those like influencer people mm-hmm. because that's that's for me it's a thing uh of course yeah, it, i have to like watch out a little bit with what i say but if i see like a lot of brands are sponsoring like people who have like 100,000 followers but they can't ride their bike they just like of those girls who just put on like sketchy photos that like 500,000 guys just like them and it's like oh yeah she's so pretty but you know like they're not so quick on a bike and if I'll see like a lot of their budget go to them, I think that's always a little bit like a sad thing to do as a brand, because also you give away some kind of statement, and that's also something I don't want to be like directly involved with. And that's why I never also never share my social media things, like I said, the stats. And yeah. in, in my sponsorship, I never make deals with like I post this, I make so much posts a month, I make so much posts of this or whatsoever. And I think the coolest coolest thing is is. Uh, one of the sponsors, I, I, they gave me the accessories to ride with, like, you know, like a little hand bumps and everything. They're like, yeah, if you can make like a video every time you have a flat tie, it would be really cool. So therefore, one year, I made like the most sketchiest videos ever if I had a flat tire. It was like completely over overblown, like everything. Oh, yeah, I'm pumping my bikes with the best pump ever. You should use this pump, best pump ever, blah, blah, blah. Every, all the time like this, like. This is extremely fake, but in the end, that that turned out to be a whole thing. In the end, it's like just having a laugh and being being not so serious about. Because you know, in the end, if you buy like a higher range pump, either if it's a design, a three vo, in a yeah, just a specialized, uh, I don't know, name a brand. If you buy the top level pumps, they're always good. Yeah, cool, man. I have to stop you for one second. I'm receiving a call and I have to pee. I'm gonna come back to you in three minutes. Yeah, no problem. Yes, I had to go to pee and this was the good excuse to cut the first half. It always happened to me, I tried to keep it on all the time, but this time it was a bit more complicated, so yeah. I cut the episode in a half and uh, the second one is gonna be straight after that. But also, don't forget that you can also follow Gosse on his Instagram account that is all the time is pretty pretty full of stories and you can also see the tattoo that we were talking about during our interview you can just go on his handle on instagram is gosinki or just look for gossip van der meer 
on the Google and you will find his website. It must be gossipvandermeer.com. Anyways, it's here in the description below. It's all for now. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, rate and comment. And happy, happy, happy new year. Talk to you later.